good morning, church family. If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is uh, Pastor Rick. And um, last year when Pastor Mark became the lead pastor of our church, uh, I was honored with the title of founding pastor, which is uh, kind of cool. My job, basically, my role is to support Pastor Mark, support the staff, support the church. And um, it just is such an honor for Martha and me. And, and I just want you to know how blessed we are uh, that to just to be a part of New Hope Kailua, to be a part of the church family is a huge blessing to Martha and me, and uh, to see Pastor Mark continue to lead the church well and be a blessing uh, is a wonderful thing. So he's doing a great job, and we appreciate him, we appreciate you. Some of your kids can call me Pastor Grandpa, that would be okay. Uh, you can call me anything you want, just don't call me late for dinner. <laughs> uh, a few years ago, before the uh, pandemic hit, before the COVID pandemic, the city of Detroit was going through some hard economic times. And there were a lot of layoffs, a lot of people unemployed. One young man um, read the newspaper and um, saw he was unemployed, he was looking for a job, but the, the, the lead uh, title on the front of the newspaper at the time was, the gorilla at the Detroit Zoo had died. And that was a terrible thing because that was the main attraction for the zoo was people used to come flock to the zoo to see the gorilla. It was one of the main attractions. And the gorilla had died and it was hurting the zoo and their, uh, their uh, uh, attendance and so on. So he got a good idea. He was a former gymnast at college and he thought, you know what? If I got a gorilla costume and went down there, I could pretend to be a gorilla. And so he went down to the Detroit Zoo and he said to the zookeeper, you know what? I'm a former gymnast, and I can act like a gorilla, and I've got a really good gorilla costume. Why don't you hire me just short-term to be your gorilla until you're able to find another gorilla for your zoo? Well, the zookeeper thought, you know, nothing venture, nothing gain. It wouldn't hurt to try. And so he said, sure enough, I'll hire you. And so sure enough, this guy would go down before the workday started, before anybody showed up, put on his gorilla outfit, and then he'd go in the gorilla cage, and he'd do all these antics. And the crowds loved it. The people started coming back to the zoo and word was out that they had a new gorilla and, and things were going really, really well. One of the things this gorilla would do was um, next to the gorilla cage was the lion cage, okay? And it had an open uh, thing above it. It had a big bar so that they couldn't get through. But there was a tree with a rope and the gorilla could run and grab that rope and swing out on top of the lion's cage and then swing back into his cage. And it was one of the, the big hits because, you know, the lion would be jumping up and trying to claw the gorilla and, and couldn't get him. And it was one of the great antics that was entertaining the crowd. One day, that gorilla went running out, grabbed the rope, swung over the lion's cage, and the branch on the tree snapped. And he fell right into the lion's cage. Now, this lion had been waiting just to get his claws into that gorilla. And so when he fell to the ground, the lion came pouncing over and the gorilla started shouting, help me, help me, won't somebody help me? And the lion said, shut up, you idiot, or we'll both lose our jobs. <laughs> Thank you. I'll be here all week. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Welcome to our series in Haumana. We have been studying as a church family what it means to be a pupil. Haumana is the Hawaiian word for a pupil, an apprentice, a student, a learner, a disciple. And we're growing and learning about what it means to be a disciple, a learner of Jesus. 
the, uh, the most important way in which we can be a learner and apprentice in life. And we have seen in the past, I just want to review, that at the core, at the center of being a haumana, a, a pupil of Jesus, is two elements. One is a personal relationship with Jesus, a personal relationship, and the second is a mission that comes out of that personal relationship. Okay? We see this, and it'll come up on your screen, or if you have your own Bible, in Mark chapter 1, 16 to 18, where Jesus calls you and he calls me into this life of haumana, a life of being a disciple, a learner, an apprentice of Jesus. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw, you can write your name in there, Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake. Why would they cast a net into the lake? Oh, it says right there, for they were fishermen. <laughs> That's what fishermen do. That's their occupation, right? They were casting a net into the, into the sea. But catch this. Here's where the relational element is. Jesus calls you and me into a primary relationship with himself. Come, follow me. Unlike other Jewish rabbis, he didn't bind people to the law. He bound them to himself. He called them into a personal relationship with himself. That's at the center of the life of following Jesus. Come, follow me. And then he says this, the mission that falls out of that relationship, that flows out of that relationship because Jesus is on a mission and when you follow him, you join that mission. He says, I will make you not fishers of tilapia or tuna, I will make you fisher of men and women. I will give you a mission to reach people because that's my mission is to reach people with the love of God and the forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. And so we see right in this basic passage, the life of Haumana is those two crucial elements, a personal relationship with Jesus. He doesn't call us to um, an ethical system or a set of doctrinal standards. He calls us to a personal relationship at the core of our lives with him. And out of that relationship, he calls us to a mission of reaching men and women for Christ. Now take a moment I want and just say to your neighbor, I'm a fisher of men and women. Just turn to your neighbor and say, I'm a fisher of men and women. That's the mission he's called us to. And most of us know that. Most of us are reminded uh, of that this morning. But what I want to emphasize, if you hear anything this morning, if you take home anything, forget about the guy in the gorilla costume. <laughs> and remember this. Uh, it's there in your notes. We must rely on the Holy Spirit when we go fishing. Jesus calls us to go fish, but the Holy Spirit is the central person, the key person in this mission of, following, of, of, of uh, going fishing, of reaching men and women for Christ. And uh, we're going to see in a couple of ways that, that uh, the Holy Spirit is central. He's key. He's the essential dynamic in our mission of reaching men and women, boys and girls, for Christ. We want to start by recognizing that haumana means life in the Spirit. Why is the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit is crucial to every aspect of discipleship, including this aspect of mission. And I just want to remind you again, we've seen this, uh, it's been a couple of months, but Jesus replaced himself with the Holy Spirit. He walked with those initial disciples and he was there uh, physically, but he told them, you know, when I die on the cross, rise from the dead, ascend to heaven, I'm not going to leave you alone, I'm going to send another helper, and he's the one that you're going to walk with. And so although we don't walk physically with Jesus anymore, now we what? 
walk in the Spirit because he gave us the Holy Spirit for our life of discipleship. I find, we find that in John chapter 14. Jesus says this, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, another one just like him. Deity. Not God the Son, now God the Spirit. I will give you another helper. Helper is this word parakletos, the one who will come alongside to help you in everything in life, in every situation, including your life of witnessing for me. That he may be with you forever, that is the spirit of truth. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He says this, you know him. Those are, you, why? Because he had descended on Jesus and had been uh, evident in all of Jesus' ministry. They'd been exposed to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But now he's saying there's going to be a shift, and he, you will not just know him because you've seen him, but he will indwell you. Look at what he says. Uh, you know him because he abides with you, but he will be with you. He, he, he will be in you. And yes, he's anticipating the day of Pentecost after he rises from the dead, pours out the Holy Spirit, and every believer is given the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit. So the point is simply this. If we set out on this mission to uh, reach men and women to go fishing for people, the Holy Spirit is essential to every aspect of um, following Jesus, every aspect of Hamana, every aspect of discipleship, and we see it particularly when the church is launched. The Holy Spirit is essential for fishing. Don't go fishing without the Holy Spirit. And I'm talking about fishing for people, right? That's in essence what happens in Acts chapter 1 where Jesus has now risen from the dead. His disciples have seen him. Over 500 people see him. He's there in Jerusalem. But he says, don't even step out the door on the mission. He's already given the mission. Go and make disciples. Go and make Haman of all the nations. But don't even step out the door until what? Until the Holy Spirit comes. Because he's essential for the mission. And there's a message there for you and me. Don't step out the door to try and reach people for Jesus unless you're relying on the indwelling Holy Spirit for his work to touch and change lives. So Jesus says this in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. You will receive power. You will receive inner strength and, yes, power to do miracles. When? When the Holy Spirit comes on you. And he uh, was going to come in the next chapter in Acts, the day of Pentecost. And you will be my witnesses. What's a witness? Just somebody tells what they've seen, tells what they've seen about. You will be Jesus' witnesses right there in Jerusalem, surrounding areas of Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth, including Kailua and Kanioi, and even Waimanalo. Sorry, <laughs> love, love Waimanalo. All over the planet, and we're engaged in that mission. Now, one of the things I want to encourage you with this morning, because I think when we're honest... Um, the Holy Spirit will strengthen us, will give us power, will give us courage to tell people about Jesus, to witness for Jesus, to do works for Jesus. He will help us in all of those ways, and he's designed we're not, never to go on this fishing mission by ourselves. We're, we're called to, to uh, rely on, to be filled with, to be governed by the indwelling Holy Spirit. One of the greatest obstacles, I think you'll identify with this, I don't want to project my stuff on you, but it's very common for people, I think, Probably the greatest obstacle in you and me actually telling people about Jesus, fear of rejection. You know, if, if we tell someone about Jesus or we show our colors for Jesus, that person might not like us. They might not accept us. They might even be rude to us. They might even reject us. And um, just, just raise your hand if you've ever felt like if you witness for Jesus. You, yes, it's a very real thing. Okay, thank you for your honesty. The rest of you, you can... Ask forgiveness for your... <laughs> Just kidding. 
I think it's just a very common thing, you know, that, that all of us want to be accepted, all of us want to be liked, all of us want to be admired, and boy, if we tell somebody else we're a Christian or if we tell them about Jesus, um, they might not accept it, they may not like it, they might reject us. The, um, I had a watershed moment <laughs> in my life, and it's not that I haven't uh, uh, have to, had to... Um, uh, what be challenged by uh, being rejected when I show my colors for Christ since then. But I had a watershed moment when I was 19 years old. <laughs> 19 years old, I was, um, I was a football player, a college football player in Canada. And uh, I was a devoted follower of Jesus. I was a haumana of Jesus. Um, and um, <clears throat> I met a guy, his name was Mike Lambros. Mike was a professional football player. I was just a college guy. But Mike had told me that in all of the major cities in Canada where they had professional football teams, they had chapels for the football team. Now, you've probably never heard of these teams, but, you know, the Edmonton Eskimos and the BC Lions in Vancouver and the Winnipeg, uh, what are they called? I forget. Uh, oh, they didn't have a professional team in, in Winnipeg at that, at that point. But anyway, his point was in all of these major cities where our college team went and played, he said there are professional athletes who love Jesus who would come to a chapel service if you hosted a chapel service. And I thought, that would be a wonderful thing to do, to have a chapel service for our football team, voluntary, obviously, and in, in these different cities and our home games, but here was the catch. I had to go and ask our head football coach. His name was Mike Lashuk. It's been so many years ago. Nobody wouldn't even know who he was at this point. But I had to go and ask Mike if I could have a chapel service for our for our church football, for our uh, university football team. I'll tell you, and if you've been on a sports team and you're young, and if there was one person I wanted to impress in life, it was Mike Lashuk. I mean, he was the head football coach. There was one person I wanted to, admi wanted to admire me, to think I was, you know, great and, and, and accept me and, and, and uh, affirm me and all. It was my head football coach. And I had to I was being prompted by the Holy Spirit to go and ask Mike if I could have a, a Christian chapel service. And uh, I can remember very clearly, I mean, my, my hands were, were knotted and my palms were sweaty. My knees were li literally buckling. Uh, and I had to walk across the room uh, and, and, and ask Mike, hey, and, and I remember mumbling something like, my chapel service, and he says, what? I said, would it be okay if we had a, a chapel service before games, and it'd be optional, but uh, would have someone talk about uh, Christ and, and how he uh, helps us in life, something like that. And I remember him looking at me and shaking and said, like, what a stupid thing to do. But he had no reason to say no, and he said, okay, I have no reason to say no. You can... Thank you, Jesus. Now, I share that because it was kind of, I was young, and I didn't understand at the time what I want to share with you, how the Holy Spirit will strengthen you in those times where you do fear rejection, where, where you want to be accepted and liked and admired, but it's so important that you take a stand and, and show your colors as a follower of Jesus. And here's what the Holy Spirit will do with you. I didn't understand this at all at the time. I just relied on the Holy Spirit for the strength to do what was a very... Uh, it was a courageous act uh, in the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit gave me strength. And uh, sure enough, we had chapel meetings, and we organized them, and, and God did some wonderful things. Uh, but it took me relying on the Holy Spirit for the strength to show my um, intent, my actions, my, my heart uh, to, to be a witness for Jesus. But look at what the Holy Spirit will do. He will overcome your fear of rejection 
By revealing your identity as a son and a daughter. Why do we feel being rejected? Well, because we're insecure in ourselves, in our own identity. If I would have known, had an inkling at the time, of my identity in Christ, the Spirit would have strengthened me in this way. Um, let me just read this, and then, and then I want you to take that home to you next time you feel like you may fear someone's rejection. This is the, what the Apostle Paul says about the ministry of the Holy Spirit when, in all of our lives, again, but especially when we witness. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are, what? Children of God. You're a son. You're a daughter of the maker of the universe. That's who you are. You're a child. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear. You don't have to fear that you're accepted by, not accepted by God or that there's judgment or that you're not worthy of God or that you have to perform for God. You, you don't have to have any of those fears. You are a beloved son and daughter. That's your identity. And you don't have to fear about being rejected by other people when you understand that you are a cherished son, cherished son, a beloved daughter of, of the God of the universe. And who cares what anybody else thinks, quite frankly? <laughs> who cares what Mike Lashuk thinks about me? If I'm accepted, I'm loved, this is my identity, this is who I am, that will give me freedom and strength just to simply share with others um, that I'm a follower of Jesus, that I want to help tell them discover what I've discovered. So he says, rather, you, know, you're not a, you don't have to live in fear, uh, fear of rejection from others. The spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, to daughtership. Again, this is who you are. You're a beloved, cherished, treasured son of the living God. And by him, the Holy Spirit, we cry, Abba, Daddy. That's who I am. That's my identity. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So hang on to that. The Holy Spirit will give you, uh, and, and I hope you have a growing sense of your uh, identity, the, uh, the precious value that you are, that God loved you so much that Jesus gave his life. He treasured you and valued you so much to make you his son, to make you his daughter. And when you realize that kind of love, that kind of value in your life, you don't have to worry about whether anyone else accepts you. God accepts you. And uh, that's really what, what counts. And so that's just one way in which the Holy Spirit is essential for us to carry out this mission, mission of going fishing for people. Now, I want to spend the rest of our time this morning sharing four practical ways. Okay, if this is the mission God has given us, and it is go fishing for people, how can we do this well? How can we do this better than we're doing it even now? And I'm blessed to see how God has used our church family and members of our church family uh, to, to help reach men and women, boys and girls for Jesus. Um, but there's a whole harvest field out there, and we can do this better. So I want to I challenge you, if you're not engaged in helping uh, in this mission of, of uh, reaching people for Jesus, um, for those of us that are, I want to encourage us, challenge us to... Um, to, to advance God's kingdom, to be even better witnesses, to see more men and women and boys and girls one to Christ in the days ahead than we have in the past. So how do we do that? How do we do it well? I want to share four practical ways, very practical, not just sort of good ideas, but practical things you can do and I can do, and also relying, these are spirit-filled ideas. This is not just your to-do list, you know, your, your, uh, your work list, your job list. These are ways for us to trust the Holy Spirit to use us to carry out Jesus' mission, to go fishing for people. All right? Here's the first one, and it's not a surprise. Pray. Pray. 
Pray for lost people. Who are you praying for in your life that, that haven't come to Jesus yet? Family members, people at work, people in your community. We all ought to have people on our prayer list. And Martha and I were just very recently encouraged because we've been praying consistently and regularly for one couple that's on our heart. Doesn't, uh, they don't live in our community. We just heard word like two weeks ago, they're attending church. Wow! A partial answer to prayer. They're on the journey. But um, when, when you start praying, things start happening. And yeah, it may take some time. Uh, I could tell you many stories. I'll tell you one of the outstanding stories of when I just saw a person pray and God did a miracle. This absolute true story. You know, Pastor Rick wouldn't lie to you, right? True story, okay? Uh, it was in a previous church I pastored, and um, there was a lady, I don't mind sharing her first name. Her name was Agnes. She came to church every Sunday, every Sunday, every Sunday. Uh, got to know her a little bit. But her husband would drop her off at church and then drive home. The husband never came to church. One day, after several months, the husband came to church and sat with her. And, it, so, uh, and, and what I'll never forget was he came up to me after service. Came up to me as a pastor and he said, Pastor, um, what, uh, what Bible translation would you recommend that I read the Bible in? He said, I just finished reading the Bible. It took me a month. <laughs> yes, I just saw a lady. What? This, I, this gentleman had read the Bible in one month. And he said that I just finished reading the Bible. It took me a month, but he'd read it in the King James Version, <laughs> which is not the easiest one to read in, right? So he's saying, what, I want to read it again. Which translation should I? He said, did you tell me that you read the Bible in one month? And he said, yeah. And I talked to his wife afterwards uh, alone, and I said, what happened that he started reading the Bible? Because he wasn't even coming to church. And she said, I prayed. <laughs> she said, I didn't say anything to him. I just prayed. I just prayed. He started reading the Bible. He would get up in the morning and read the Bible. He would take his Bible to work. He would read it at his break. He would read it at lunch. He'd come home, and, and she'd make him dinner, and she's just praying. And he just kept reading the Bible every spare He got through the whole Bible in a month. And in the process, guess what? He discovered Jesus and made a personal decision for Christ, got baptized. And the only, there was no evangelism program, and I'm all for evangelism program. It was just a praying wife and the power of prayer. Uh, so don't give up on that. Pray. Paul says this, Brothers, my heart's desire, my prayer to God for his people, the Israelites, is that they might be saved. He's praying for his people. And um, pray. Because ultimately, this is in concert with the role of the Holy Spirit, right? You have no capacity to change a person's life. I have no capacity to persuade someone um, to follow Jesus. But the Holy Spirit does a work um, which uh, is exceeding beyond, beyond anything that we can imagine to touch and change people's lives. So, foundation, pray. Uh, pray uh, for people's salvation. Pray for your loved ones, your family, your colleagues. Pray for people in your community. Starting point, number two. This is sometimes overlooked. Teach your children and model your faith for your children. Those of us that are parents, and when we become grandparents, we can extend this. But tell your kids, and thank God we've got a wonderful children's church program and a youth group. But the primary responsibility of telling our children about Jesus is on the parents. And that's why Paul says this. He's, he's, uh, it's in the, the Old Testament as well. But he says, fathers and mothers, I would add, bring your children up in the training and instruction. Parents. I love the way Eugene Peterson in the message says this. He says, parents, take your children by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. 
That's how mana. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Take your children by the hand, lead them in the way of the master. Now, I brought something along. Um, I'm learning to do this even better as a grandpa. Uh, these are called resurrection eggs. You can get them on Amazon for about 20 bucks. Okay, I discovered this. It's just a little tool. It's for Easter, but you can use it year-round. What it is, is it's 12 Easter eggs, and each one of those eggs has a little clue in it. And so what you do with your kids, it's fun for adults too. I mean, object lessons are. You open each one of those eggs, and there's a little clue. And guess what the clues do? They tell the story of Easter. They tell the story of Easter. So uh, I want to show you just a clip of a five-year-old girl. She's five years old. She can't read yet, she, some words, but she's, you know, she can't read, she can't write. But listen how she knows the story of Jesus from these resurrection eggs. Take a look. Jesus was riding a donkey to Jerusalem. And then after the, in the night, they, the, the, Jesus told the disciples, the, the disciples asked, where will we eat the Passover meal? And Jesus said, as you go into the city, you will see a large man carrying a jar. And then he would take you to a large room and and, and he would, that's where we would he said that's where we will eat meal. The disciples found everything to eat just as God said. Later that evening Jesus sat down to eat. Jesus was said he was happy to be with them. Mm. He said, one of you will betray me. And then he took one glass of wine and one glass of bread and blessed and said, here, this is my body that is given to you. Praying had Jesus prayed in the garden and said, God, is there anything other to do than doing this? Because he was, because he knows how much it would hurt. There's a, one more short one to come. After, after Jesus died, the, this, one of the soldiers Feared about the side to uh, uh, Jesus to make sure he was dead. And then after they put a stone so nobody could get it. And then when the when the angel opened the stew at the at the Ladies saw it empty. They, they only saw the white cloth. I remembered Jesus would rise again. At the last egg, Jesus risen from the dead. Mm. Nothing in it. Isn't that cool?
full disclosure, that's my granddaughter Ambrose. But uh, I was amazed at how well she knew the story of Jesus just from these little... So aunties, uncles, grandpas, and oh, by the way, I don't know, did, did it show Willow showing up? Willow's only one. She crowded the scene. She wanted to get in there too. Just a little thing that we can do as uh, family members to tell our kids about Jesus. It can be fun, um, um, but uh, a way for us to uh, go fishing for the most important people in our, our lives, our family members, right? Parents, grandparents. So teach and model for children. Number three, pray, rely upon the Holy Spirit, teach our children about Jesus. And thirdly, serve with your fishing family. Did you know you have a fishing family? You're not called to go out, even in the Spirit, and witness for Jesus all by yourself. We're called to do it in community, as a family. And there's such a blessing in that. So Paul says this, Now you are, New Hope Kailua, you're the body of Christ. You're the physical presence of Jesus in your community. Yes, he rose from the dead and ascended to heaven, but he sent the Holy Spirit to fill your lives, and you as a church family are the body of Jesus on a mission in your community. And catch this. Please underline it right on your iPad. Each one of you is a part of that. Have you bought into that? Do you believe that? We're all a part of this mission of being a church family. And this is, to me, uh, a thing of beauty. It's a wonderful thing that, that all of us are a part of this family that's going fishing together. And I could tell you, again, many stories. I just want to tell you one. Uh, that, that, but... Um, we have many uh, stories here at New Hope Kailua of when the, the church family went fishing. Okay, this one lady, her name was Mary. It was a few years back. She drove off the military base, the back gate. She saw a sign. Why? Because we have a sign team. We have people who serve Jesus who put signs out on the street. And I always tell them, these are signs from God because it leads people to our church. And, but it wouldn't happen if we didn't have some people with servant hearts to put out those signs. So Mary sees a sign. It says, New Hope Kailua. She thought it was a recovery group. She was an alcoholic, and she thought, you know what? I need to go to this recovery program for my alcoholism. So she found our church. She came in here, and guess what happened? She found out, ultimately, we weren't <laughs> a recovery. We're a church. We're the body of Jesus. But she was greeted by people who loved Jesus and loved them and just welcomed them with aloha. And she saw there was a place where there were people who would uh, take care of her children so she could sit in the service and hear the message and worship. There were people that loved children and wanted to serve children. There were tech teams who showed up and set up sound systems and audiovisual stuff so that we could have us. All of these people were serving as the body of Christ with their gifts. Each one was a part. And my favorite team, there was a hospitality team. They had food ready for us to eat. Isn't that a wonderful thing? It's just everybody's serving with their gifts, serving Jesus and serving people. And yes, there's some behind the scenes. There's the worship team. Uh, yes, they're visible, but there are other people that you don't see that are behind the scenes. There are the prayer team who are praying every day, every week for needs in our church, for people to come to Jesus in our church. There's generosity. There's people in our church that you don't see, but their generosity in giving to God um, allows us to have a church operation and pay our rent and pay our missionaries and support our staff. Everybody doing their part. And guess what happens? This Lady Mary was just one. She came in on that given morning. There was a message about forgiveness of sins, the gift of eternal life. She prayed and re she received Jesus as her ultimate healer and uh, was baptized and a new disciple was born because of what? 
wasn't one person. It was the whole church family, from the signs to everything. And here's what happens. This is what I love. You know, I had a background in football. Well, what happens on a touchdown pass, right? If you've ever watched football, quarterback throws the ball, receiver catches it, in the end zone, spikes the ball, and everybody celebrates. It's not just the receiver. It's just not the quarterback, the offensive lineman. Why? Because they all had a part in it. They all had a part in it. If, you know, the quarterback and he threw the ball, but if that offensive lineman didn't pick up the blitz, there would have been no touchdown. And if the, the halfback didn't pick up the... the uh, the uh, blitzing, you know, defensive end or whatever, then it wouldn't have happened. And if the other wide receiver hadn't run the decoy route to open up the guy, everybody had a role in the play. And that's why when there's a touchdown, everybody celebrates. That's a picture of the church. When someone comes to faith in Christ, we all have a part in that. And it might have been the pastor who preached the message, or it might have been uh, somebody else who sat down and, and uh, explained the good news of Jesus, but we're all a part of that team <laughs> that wins people to Jesus. And so these are, these are very practical ways I hope will encourage you that as we rely on the Holy Spirit, that we'll be even better fisher of people in the future. Pray. Pray for people in your life. Teach and model for your children. Serve with your fishing family. And the final one is utilize your God-given style. Do you realize that, uh, I know you know this, God has made you absolutely distinct, unique. Um, some of us say, well, you know, reaching people for Jesus, that's for the evangelists. That's for the TV person. No, he's called every one of his followers on the mission. And he hasn't made you probably a TV evangelist. He certainly hasn't made me a TV evangelist. And I love to share the good news about Jesus. But each one of us has our unique gifting and our unique personality. And when we look at the scriptures, there's a number of ways in which people actually witness for Jesus and people are one to faith in Christ. Um, and I just want to highlight, without going into uh, uh, long detail, um, some of those God-given styles that I hope you will identify with and you will be encouraged by in your own life, okay? So utilize your God-given style. First of all, some of us actually like to speak boldly. There are some people who like a bold witness, uh, a strong declaration. I remember uh, one guy I heard about, and this was just what he loved to do. He, he got into a cab in New York City, and there was a Muslim driver there, and he just initiated a conversation, and he was direct, and he said, hey, man, why would you believe in a dead guy? <laughs> he was just sort of direct and bold. He wasn't disrespectful, but you know what? Um, the founder of the Muslim faith, he died, like every other and, and, and his point was to lead into a conversation that Christians believe in someone who rises from the dead. You don't have to be rude or disrespectful. He was just bold and, and direct. Why would you believe in a dead guy when you could believe in someone who rose from the dead? And ultimately, that's what makes Jesus different than Muhammad, than Buddha, than any other philosophical or uh, religious leader throughout history. There's one person who rose from the dead. And so his question, to lead into that discussion, bold, direct, I got to tell you, uh, just within the last couple of weeks, I don't want to put them uh, on the spot, but I happened to walk into the business of, of a member of our church family who has a business right here in Kailua. Maybe you've been in, in her business. Bold declaration, scriptures right on the wall. I mean, there's no, there's no um, question that she's a follower of Jesus. Just bold declaration, scriptures right there on the wall. That's, that's, a, that's a beautiful thing. We see this with Peter in the, in the uh, New Testament where Acts chapter 3, the birth of the church, the day of Pentecost. Peter gets up to the very crowd that had crucified Jesus, that had yelled out crucify, 
and he preaches Jesus' bold declaration of who Jesus is. Um, and, and yes, some of us are called to that, that bold declaration in, with love, with respect, yes. But some of us identify with us. Some of us say, that's just not me. Some of us prefer to reason with people. The whole area of apologetics, intellectual arguments. That's a great way to witness for Jesus. There's some great books. Maybe you like to read and, and just... Paul did this in Athens. We read in uh, Acts chapter 17. It says he reasoned. He reasoned with the Jews and the, the Jewish religious leaders and the philosophical leaders. And he brought intellectual arguments to the plate to uh, uh, lift up who Jesus is and what he's done. That might be you. You might just love engaging people in respectful discussions and, and arguments that are uh, not so much arguments but, but uh, truth that... Um, um, undergirds the Christian life, the person of Jesus. Here's one we can all do, very simple one. Share your story. <laughs> this is the blind man, right? I was blind, but now I see. Jesus did this in my life. <laughs> it's that simple. How has Jesus changed you? What has he done for you? What is he doing in your life now? Just tell someone about it. You know what? I was really struggling with that, and let me just tell you how Jesus made a difference for me in my marriage, in my finances, in whatever, whatever he's done for you. Just Tell people your story. And that's a powerful way to be a witness for Jesus. Here's another underestimated one. Open your home. Just invite people over to your home. I've known people who intentionally have just had a party, you know, 4th of July, July party or Valentine's Day party or Christmas party, invited some of their Christian friends, invited some of their non-Christian friends. Because, you know, the biblical example is Matthew. Matthew is a tax collector. And uh, when, when Jesus accepted him, loved on him, called him to be a disciple, he threw a party, but it was a party with a purpose. He invited other tax collectors because he wanted them to meet Jesus. And a great way for your friends to meet Jesus is for, him, for them just to meet Jesus through some of your friends. And um, open your home, hospitality. Uh, I can think of one example um, where Martha and I uh, invited a couple, I remember because I had such a bad attitude. Martha wanted to invite this neighbor couple for Thanksgiving. And I thought, oh, good grief, Thanksgiving. I just want to be with my own family. I don't want to have to entertain for other people. But um, I gave in <laughs> and uh, said, okay. So we invited this couple that were neighbors of theirs, discovered in just reaching out, and, and uh, there was a connection with our kids uh, with this couple. They, they lived in our neighborhood, but a connection with our kids turned out we didn't know, but they were having significant marriage issues. Weeks later, he came to me and he said, Ricky, you didn't know this, but when my wife and I came over to your house, we saw something in your marriage that we don't have, and, and we need that. And I was able to say, well, you know, it's an imperfect marriage, but we've got Jesus together. And both of them ended up coming to faith in Christ. And it just started with opening your home just having people over and you don't have to plan an evangelistic crusade over Thanksgiving meal just love on people and open your heart and open your home and God will use you as well final one and this one fits in with Malama Kailua right serve people and the biblical example is Dorcas now who on earth would name their daughter Dorcas I don't get that but Dorcas we read about in Acts chapter 9 and uh, what it says about her is she's always doing good and helping the poor Here's a person who's always doing good. Well, what are we doing next week? We're going out there just to show the love of Jesus in practical ways, to do some good works, to glorify the Father and let people know that Jesus is alive in us. And so that's just one example, a great opportunity for us to serve people in our community.
very practical. Some of those you may identify with by your personality, by your gifting, by your wiring. They're all very just uh, common but spirit-filled ways in which the Holy Spirit can use us to help share the love and the message of Jesus and go fishing for people because Jesus is in the people business. That's what he came for. That's what he's all about. And when we sign up to follow him, we become in the people business, reaching people for him and for his kingdom. And so I want to just conclude with this uh, little legend. It is a legend. Didn't actually happen, but it makes a point. The legend goes like this. When Jesus rose from the dead, ascended to heaven, he had a conversation with the uh, angel Gabriel. And Gabriel turned to the risen Christ and said, this is absolutely amazing. What, what an amazing thing that, that you, the Son of God, became flesh and, and lived and, and, and went to planet Earth and, and, and you died on the cross and suffered so terribly, but you rose from the dead and you've ascended and, and you're giving forgiveness of, of, of sins and the gift of eternal life and calling people to be your sons and your daughters, your forever family. It's just amazing. But he says, how is the world going to know about this? How are future generations going to know about the wonder of who you are and your love? And Jesus said, well, I've asked Peter and a few of my friends to tell other people about it. <laughs> Gabriel had watched too much of human history. He said, yeah. So you, you left this message with just a few faltering people. Like, what if they forget? <laughs> or what if they get scared? Or what if they get intimidated? And, and what if the word doesn't get out? Jesus, don't you have a plan B? This is too big a deal to trust with just a few people on earth. And Jesus looked at Gabriel and he says, no, I don't have a plan B. I'm counting on them. I'm counting on them. And it's the same way today. Jesus doesn't have a plan B to get the word out about who he is and uh, his good news of, of life, of being adopted as sons and daughters into his family, the forgiveness of sins, the gift of eternal life, a resurrection body, the new, all of this wonderful truth that Jesus is and has done for us. He's given it to people like us to share with other people. What could be more exciting? What could be more valuable in your life and in my life that the Holy Spirit would use us to help somebody else come to faith in Jesus? <laughs> there isn't anything more valuable, more precious. So let me pray. I'm going to invite you to stand and uh, let's pray that Jesus would continue through his Holy Spirit to fill us with the Spirit so that we would be even more effective fishermen, fisher of men, fisher of women in the days ahead. Thank you, Lord Jesus, first and foremost, for your awesome love for us. Thank you that you came into this world to draw us to be your followers, and yes, even more than your followers, to be your witnesses, and yes, even more than you, your witnesses and your servants, Lord, to be your sons and your daughters. And I pray that you will continue to do a wonderful work in our lives, in our church at New Hope Kailua, so that your love would overflow from our lives into the lives of our loved ones, our family, our community, and indeed around the world with those we partner with in your wonderful mission. So Lord, we love you. Thank you for your presence with us this morning. Thank you for the opportunity next Sunday of just being the body of Christ, the love of Jesus in all of these various ways right here in our community. We pray for miracles to happen, conversations, lives changed, provision, whatever you want to do, Holy Spirit. We look to you. Thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. And the Lord's people said, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.